Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Deputy Editor at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each month we're delving a little deeper into some of the conversations being had in our community, learning more about exciting innovations and probing some of the issues that we're facing. This month we'll be talking about qualifications in the charity sector, after Queen Mary University of London launched the first ever degree in social change. We'll be speaking to programme lead Dr Patrick McGurk and Adrian Sanders, learning and development business partner at Mind, about why they think qualifications are needed, as well as two of the students on the course about their experience. We'll also be talking to Francesca Trotman and Andrea Biden of the marine charity Love the Oceans, about what happened when their organisation was featured on the Instagram account of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And inevitably, we have to talk about Brexit. With the 31st of October looming, we chat to Chetal Patel from the law firm Bates Wells Braithwaite about what we know, what we don't know, and what charities can be doing in the meantime. But first, what have you been up to this month? Well, I've been working on our magazine redesign. We're launching a new look magazine for the next edition, which is very, very exciting and a lot of work. But how about you? Uh, I went down to visit the RNLI headquarters in Poole. And why was that? I'm afraid if you want to find that out, you'll have to read the next new sparkly edition. It's going to be so nice. It's going to be pretty. Um, but while I was down there, I did get a tour of their purpose-built training college and it was awesome. They've got this like simulator where you can practice being in like the wheelhouse of one of their bigger lifeboats. And they've also got this training pool where they like simulate different weather conditions. Wow. And teams can kind of practice writing like a capsized lifeboat. So they can kind of make it stormy and you have to turn the boat back over. And it turns out you can go and do it as like a corporate team building exercise. Organised drowning sounds so restful I've and fun. I've been thinking we should do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, corporate team building is just, it's, it's, it's an absolute nightmare. I don't think I've ever done a team building exercise where I've come away thinking, I genuinely feel like I'm going to do better work as a result of this. I don't know about yeah, you. No, I, I mean, I've been on one where the person I was with was actively quite racist while I was talking to her. So I, I came away less bonded to my oh, team. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was something. That's yeah. not good. Well, the worst one I ever saw um, in my last job was uh, like, it was called Cuddle a Coworker. And it was eight hours. So mimicking a full nine till five of organised cuddling and yeah, oh, it was... I mean, that sounds like a sexual harassment lawsuit and or a cult. Yeah, really. like at the begin- Yeah, you started the day by um, uh, expressing all of your negative feelings about your colleagues <laughs> in the room. And then uh, you had to cuddle for two hours to go. Well, the, the same person? Same person for two hours, occasionally switching positions. I, I, don't, I don't think there's like anybody that I could cuddle for two hours solidly no. without like... Absolutely not. I've always been fascinated. I would, I would, I would love to be a fly on the wall. At one of those sessions, got to say. Anyway, anyway, we should get on with the show. We should get on with the show. This year, Queen Mary, University of London, launched the world's first undergraduate degree in social change. The degree has been specifically designed for the voluntary and social sectors and developed in partnership with the Alzheimer's Society, Action for Children, WaterAid, Mind, the National Council for Voluntary Organisations, the Samaritans, the Prince's Trust, the gambling charity YGAM, the arts and science charity, the RSA, and the Scouts. The first cohort of 13 students started in September and will complete paid apprenticeships at a number of the partner charities as part of the course. We're joined by Dr Patrick McGurk, the programme leader for the course, Noam Chowdhury, and Adash Ramchurn, two students on the course, and Adrian Sanders, learning and development business partner at Mind, one of the partner charities involved. 
Thank you all for joining us. So, Patrick, first, what prompted the university to set up the course? Well, a number of universities across the country were getting into degree apprenticeships, but we always thought we were a different kind of business school, really. We're a business school that specialises in social justice, in sustainability, in good governance. So when this opportunity came along to do a degree apprenticeship in the social sector as it were or the third sector or the not-for-profit sector whatever you want to call it we grabbed it because we thought this is a great fit with our school we have a number of colleagues who are interested in not-for-profit management who have relationships with key charities and so on I myself have a background in public and not-for-profit management so we thought this is a great opportunity for us to do a degree apprenticeship in an area where we've got a real strength. Yeah. And Adrian, from your point of view, what made Mind want to get involved with this? For us, we had this opportunity to use our apprenticeship levy and we really wanted to utilise it in a way that felt like it was including young people who weren't yet in the sector and who are also committed to social justice and social change. So when we were approached by Queen Mary about this opportunity and the fact that they were a Russell group and they were in our local community within, uh, within Stratford, um, one of our national offices in Stratford, the other in Cardiff, for us, it was kind of a no-brainer um, to be able to include two young people from diverse backgrounds into the organisation and give them an opportunity. Is there a demand for qualifications in the sector? And what impact are you hoping that such a programme is going to have on charities and the wider social impact environment? Yeah, I think there is a demand um, for qualifications like this in the sector. I think the impact would be that we're providing an opportunity for people to not only bring the education that they're experiencing for those four years and give back to the charity, but for us also to learn from them. I think we have so much to learn from these young people experiencing a degree specifically in social justice, social change. And for us, that's kind of an invaluable contribution to the organisation. From our point of view, this is a really interesting group of employers to engage with. We've got really interesting students we always have we recruit heavily for example from the east london area amongst our home undergraduates these young people have got a lot to offer in these sorts of organizations and we like to think that we'll be providing a bit of a pipeline now Uh, this will grow and will provide us a pipeline of young diverse talent back into these organizations they'll be the future leaders in the sector and just generally it's great for us to be able to contribute to sort of better management and leadership in in third sector organizations. What areas are going to be covered on the course? Okay so I mean the trailblazer group of employers that originally came to us and wanted to design this program together with us they did have some pretty specific things that they wanted us to respond to in terms of a new curriculum so there's going to be the the sort of mainstream business management curriculum that you'd find in most business degrees and most business schools so your sort of staple areas of marketing finance project management etc but there's also going to be some specialised content that we've we've done in a bespoke way for this degree. So there's going to be modules, for example, on the actual sector itself and the governance of it, the different types of organisational management that you find in the sector. There's also going to be active experiential modules around social change. So the students are actually going to work together on a social action project. They're going to design, run, fundraise it themselves, do the comms on it and all of that kind of thing. And there's going to also be a couple of modules, one on impact evaluation and the other one on fundraising management. And we took advice from the Institute of Fundraising on this and from the NCVO. Um, on the design of these modules. So we've we've come up with what we think is a pretty 
distinctive and, and new curriculum. And we're very excited about delivering it and delivering it in partnership with colleagues from Mind and all the other organisations that we're working with because the students can do projects that are based in the workplace but they're informed by the theory that we're going to be teaching them in the university. So it makes for quite a rich sort of collaboration I think. Yeah and for us that's really exciting because as they go through each module kind of throughout the different four months that they experience those modules we're we're shifting them throughout the organization to work with the different teams that align to those subjects and for us that's a really incredible opportunity because they're informing the work that we're doing and they're responding to some of the work that we're doing and exploring it in ways that maybe we haven't had resource to do or maybe not even the expertise because it's subjects that they're deep diving into at the moment within their program so for us that's super exciting for yeah from mine's point of view was there anything where you were like if we're going to have a degree, it needs to have X, Y, Z. What were the kind of core qualities you wanted to see? I think for us, um, we really wanted them to have just a broad breadth of all the different areas of the charity sector in terms of making sure it wasn't too specialised right from the beginning. So them having the opportunity, for example, at the moment we've got we've got two apprentices working within organisational development. They'll then move on to work within comms and marketing um, and then they'll look at finance management. Um, And that's just kind of year one, for example. And then beyond that, they're going to have the opportunity to work within fundraising, um, brand, strategy and governance, um, et cetera, et cetera. So for us, it was we really wanted, I think, particularly to make sure they had finance skills and have the opportunity to learn that, because I know that that's a gap within the market at the moment. But we also wanted to make sure that they had the opportunity to engage with all those subjects, because I think that is something that's lacking within the sector at the moment. Noma, Adash, from your point of view, um, what made you apply for the course and what are you hoping to get out of it? For me, I really wanted to work in the third sector because I was... I wanted to make a difference and I also wanted to continue my studies to get a degree. So it was kind of a no-brainer for me. I would agree with Noma and I would say for me it was about getting experience at a charity that make big positive social change. I really wanted to be able to get first-hand experience whilst also studying at the same time in order to like better my like aspirations for the future. Okay, and how have you found the course so far? The course has been really good. Like I've, I've enjoyed going to university and studying the different aspects of business management and then being able to apply it at, at the workplace and like learning in both practical side and theoretical side of things I think it's really good for me as a person. Yeah I'd agree with us but I really like the idea of doing the practical element as well as the studying. One of the concerns that comes up whenever qualifications are mentioned in the sector and it's it's particularly true with fundraising but I think you see it in other areas is is this debate between people saying well I just fell into this job and people saying well we need a pathway and other people saying if we create a course and if you have to have a degree then that creates more barriers and people can't get in. So yeah one of the concerns that comes up is that having a qualification will create additional barriers that will stop people from a range of backgrounds coming into charities. Is this a concern you guys have been aware of? And is there something, you know, is there anything you think you can do to kind of mitigate that? I think it's the other way around, actually. I think this is a new pathway into the sector. It doesn't have the same obstacles that perhaps previously we've had in the sector because, I mean, this uh, apprenticeships for a start don't have student fees, so they don't carry student debt. Um, so that removes one obstacle if you like to non-traditional students straight away it's good for retention as well because we know there's a retention problem in the sector young university graduates typically in their early 20s for example coming with degrees from all sorts of disciplines but not necessarily wanting to stay Mm. so we think that this is probably a more stable recruitment pipeline 
into the sector as well as a, you know providing more stability for for the young people themselves. I keep saying young people. I mean, it could be more mature people that come through this route as well. But our normal sort of age profile would be sort of nineteen to twenty two, I guess. So I don't see it as an obstacle. I think this is an enabler into the sector, actually. I agree with Patrick. Um, I, I do think that we always have to be mindful about the, the ways in which you can enter the sector and how we can diversify those. So I, I don't think this is going to be the solution to any issue we might be experiencing around entering the sector. But I think it is one pathway that's allowing mobilization of young people into it, or as Patrick said, you know, older students who are choosing to to go into this apprenticeship later in life. But there are other mechanisms that we probably have to look at. Hmm. But but this isn't this isn't this can't be a catch all for for that. But it is one mechanism I think that's helping. With the qualifications that we'll get from from this course, will it will help to promote more people to want to do things like like this and see that they can get involved in a positive way and especially young people mm-hmm. I would say because I think there's a lot of young people out there that are doing good and positive things and to be able to want to do it on a platform such as this is I think really beneficial. Is there anything you think that you might have found off-putting about the idea of doing a course like this if it had been maybe just a degree if there had been fees? Yeah so for me I was actually looking into doing degree apprenticeships anyway and then maybe moving to the charity sector or the other alternative was just doing a degree and I would have done it in sociology and international development which is kind of more directly about the problems of society. Um, so my end goal was ultimately to end up in the charity sector either way. This is providing a kind of more direct exactly. route for you. Exactly. So it's like combining the two things really. And uh, up until a few months ago, like the, I hadn't even seen this advertised. So this mm. is this was kind of like my dream role. And it had, it's only just materialised. I took a gap year. So if I had, uh, when I was looking last year, there was nothing like this out there. For me, I think the whole structure of this course is really interesting. And everything that that's on it appeals to me because... With me, I think I have a lot of interest in different areas, uh, especially the charity sector, but also because I know we have modules on financial accounting and marketing and, and issues like that. So I found that the most attractive thing about the course. To be honest, I, I couldn't think of anything of putting about the mm. course. It was just, it was perfect for me as the goals I want to have. And yeah. it will help me achieve what I want to achieve. Patrick made a good point about how like young people, the core when they're going through to design the course, how they fought long and hard about what sort of people they want to bring in and mm. things like that and being around them um, all 13 of us doing the course and feels like I've known them for ages <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah I've got to know everyone like quite well and it's like a good it's a good diverse group and I think that's that's what I like about being on this course because we because we, cause we're charity in the charity sector we want to promote more diversity as well mm. and I think that's that's a big thing for us and uh yeah, that's what I, I really like. That's one aspect I really like about being on this course. I mean, is that something you're conscious of in the workplace, sort of looking around? Diversity is something that needs to shift. Yeah, definitely. Because I think from from what I know, like a lot of boards in charity sectors consist of mainly white men. And I think diversity is important because if you have a diverse board, then you're more open to different ideas, different backgrounds. And it helps you focus your charity in different, in different ways. Because if you have people from from different backgrounds in your in your board they'll understand maybe the people that you're trying to help i think i'll just um add to the, di- the diversity point i think working class and also young people is very important like i think this apprenticeship has allowed young people to have a voice in the charity sector as well because i'm definitely the youngest by quite quite some distance at my charity and i think i think this pathway will allow more young people to have a voice in the charity sector and like adash said i think lots of people lots of young people are 
really wanting to do that. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Brexit, Brexit, potentially ruining Halloween for years to come. The big day is almost upon us and still no one has the first idea of what's going on. Are charities prepared? Is that physically possible when the circumstances are changing minute by the minute? Well, here to shed some light in a quick-fire Q&A is Chital Patel, business immigration lawyer and partner at Bates Wells. How are you doing, Chital? I'm very well, thank you. So we actually met last week, and even since then, just like a huge amount has happened since. So with a little under two weeks to go, at the time of recording, I will say, because by the time it comes out, who knows, until October 31st, exactly what concrete facts do we have about Brexit? Well, as you said, Emily, things have changed quite dramatically in the last week. The 17th of October, Boris Johnson beat the odds and he struck a deal. Much of Theresa May's original Brexit deal will remain as part of the overall agreement, including the transition period and um, rights towards citizens. However, until a deal is agreed between Parliament right. and the EU, there is little direct impact on charities at the moment. And the simple thing is, we don't know whether we're going to leave with or without a deal. And so I think the crux of it is that we're still having this kind of ongoing uncertainty, which has kind of, you know, uh, paralysed the sector for, you know, extraordinarily the three years that we've had since the referendum. And again, no one really knows what's going on with it. So as someone who works with a wide range of charity clients, what do you think um, are the biggest concerns among them at the moment as that date gets closer? I think one of the main things is we've had a lack of clarity over the last few years. And as we've been leading up to this deadline, charities are becoming more and more anxious because it's becoming more and more real that actually this may happen. What I've found is that some charities still don't know who their affected staff are. What that means is actually some haven't thought we're going to reach Brexit Day, so they haven't done an audit of their staff. And also, um, they're facing difficult conversations with some senior members. So some of the senior directors don't necessarily want to get status now because Mm. they don't have to. And it's quite a conflicting demand in terms of what the charity wants and what the individuals need. So there's a bit of a balancing act that's going on at the moment. When you talk about status, you're talking about EU employees who are working in the UK. And while EU employees may seem like a very small niche within the charity sector, 2018 research does suggest that they do make up about 4% of the workforce. So in the immediate short term, what are the things that charities can be and should be doing to support those members of staff? So I think there's one thing that we need to do in terms of taking a step back. So before the charities can actually offer that support, they first of all need to audit their staff. Mm -hmm. So they need to see who's affected. And an important point to note is it's not just EU nationals. It's also family members of EU nationals. So you may have a South African national married to a French national. Once they've got those figures, then it's really important that employers, charities in particular, give support to those people. And I think the most important thing is that some type of communication goes out to the workforce. And that's really important because it not only reaffirms the charity's commitment and recognises that the staff are really important, but it also flags that they actually value having a diverse workforce. Another thing charities could be doing is supplying information to the Migration Advisory Committee. Now, they're doing um, research, they're gathering research at the moment for um, a paper. Could you talk to that a bit? With business needs likely to change rapidly in a post-Brexit era, it's really important that any new immigration system is nimble and it can't be clunky. But the important thing is that charities get involved now. And it's charities of all different sizes and in different regions. Reasons why that's really important is because we know that there are regional variations in salaries. So with London, it pushes up the national um, salary wages compared to perhaps people in the northwest. And also, we need to think about 
what jobs migrant workers actually do. So we know as a fact that some working in the charity sector may be doing lower skilled jobs than perhaps other sectors. And the MAC actually accommodates that and asks for lists of occupations. So it's really important that people get involved straight away and that deadline is approaching. Yeah, so the deadline for that um, research is November the 5th isn't it? That's The Migration Advisory Committee is calling on organisations across private sector and public sector, but they have very explicitly specified that they want to have information from third sector bodies as well. This could be one of the only opportunities that charities get to influence government policy on a future immigration system. So I would strongly urge people to go and fill that out. And just to add to that, um, one of the other questions on the form talks about what could be counted towards a salary and there's specific wording there in relation to other cash or non-cash remuneration. So that, again, is an indication that Mac had the third sector in mind because obviously charities could then provide a shopping list of things such as allowances, reasonable expenses, pocket money, etc. We are at this place, October 31st, it is coming. Now, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker said yesterday that they were not going to have an extension because we've now been offered a deal. I don't know if that was just political grandstanding and if they might be forced to bend on it. But my last question is, if we are forced to apply for another extension, will that in of itself actually be helpful? Or is it more of a redundant thing unless we are then in that time given clearer support? I think the first thing is that both sides need to agree. And Boris Johnson has repeatedly said that actually he's got enough MPs to get this through. My concern is that charities need to have clear and concrete information in order to plan. And we haven't had that up until this point. There also remains a lot of uncertainty. And if there's a hiccup, I fear that we may see another extension despite what the leaders are saying. Wonderful. Chitel, thank you so much for joining me today. Love the Oceans is a small marine conservation charity working largely in Mozambique, running volunteer programmes to get trainee marine biologists to help them study the Indian Ocean marine life. They also work with the locals, helping them to get to school and boosting tourism to provide other employment so they don't resort to shark fishing. They're also cleaning up plastic in the oceans. A few months ago, the charity's founder, Francesca Trotman, and director, Andrea Biden, woke up to find that Love the Oceans and their Instagram account, at Love the Oceans, had been featured on the Duke and Duchess of Sussex Instagram. It was great news for the charity, but a lot to handle for a charity with only two members of staff and no experience dealing with the national or international media. Francesca, Andrea, thanks for joining us. So, what happened? Well, we had this out-of-the-blue recognition on the Sussex Royal Instagram um, feed and we just weren't expecting it. And uh, the purpose of them following us was actually to highlight the work of 15 grassroots organisations and we were super pumped to be recognised as one of those. Um, So the Duke and Duchess have, I think it's 9.7 million followers on Insta and the world media following their posts. So we immediately got profiled across national media, literally kind of woke up to them one morning and were like, wow. And international actually. International, yeah. It's Americans very, like the Royals. Americans well. like the Royals, yeah. <laughs> Francesca, what does that mean for the charity? It's been amazing for the organisation. It's meant that we have an opportunity to tell our story to a wider audience. Um, so we were doing a lot of like Instagram stories and things like that, talking about all of our work, our research, our community work. And it meant that uh, we needed to review all of our social media channels as well and how we were creating content and make sure that um, we could like we were explaining it to the best of our ability and clearly and things like that. And we saw a massive boost in our profile. So uh, our Instagram followers, I think, was around, I want to say like 3,000 followers um, before. Like we've been around, this is our fifth year. So we're still a very young organisation. And 
our work is quite niche. Marine conservation isn't super broad these days. Well, actually, now it's more broad with David Attenborough and things like that. But we've always had quite a small following. Uh, but this obviously gave us a lot more exposure. So our Instagram followers have um, tripled in the last two months, um, which has been absolutely insane. Even just when we first got that buzz on Instagram, it was crazy. Like, it was yeah. amazing to see. We saw this kind of initial instant boost in our profile and uh, and you know for us we were like how do we make the most of this opportunity when we have little to no experience in this space and so what we did is we actually reached out to the Sussex Royal team uh, and and said you know look we'd love to make the most of this opportunity what can we do how can we work together yeah and so we for International Whale Shark Day which is on the 30th of August every year um, we said hey we do whale shark research um do you want to hear about it? So we were telling the palace about our, which I still can't really believe we say It's like when the Duchess called me that time. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so we were talking to the palace about um, International Whale Shark Day and whale sharks and what they are and why they're endangered and the threats that they face and why people need to care about them and conserve them and things like that. And then they featured us on their Instagram for International Whale Shark Day um, just individually, which was amazing because we kind of thought that the post would be more about International Whale Shark Day with a little bit on Love the Oceans at the bottom but it was actually the other way around it was a large part about the projects that we do and then um, a small part about uh, International Whale Shark Day at the bottom and we actually do an adopt a whale shark campaign where you can adopt an individual whale shark on our database and we launched that on International Whale Shark Day and the Sussex has posted about that and we managed to raise enough money to buy a decent a really decent camera for our whale shark research as well as a result of just that one Instagram post and that that Instagram post was was it was fascinating because it received like this really positive national pickup in the Sun, the Daily Mail, and Express, and I, I truly believe that we wouldn't have the number of people who have decided to adopt a whale shark if it wasn't for that exposure provided by them. I mean, so Andrea, you described this as as being a kind of positive crisis for the charity, though. Like, what made you say that? Oh, just the concept of a positive crisis. It was, <laughs> you know, I we know nothing about PR and, and marketing. You know, we're we're not too ashamed to admit that, and. Uh, you know, we were talking to somebody who specialises in PR and she's like, oh, this is a good crisis. And I was like, a good crisis? Is that a thing? I'm sure there's such a thing as a good crisis. Maybe. And, you know, for us, I realised it's it was unexpected and immediate. So it put us into crisis mode in terms of how do we respond and what do we do? There's the two of us. Francesca was in Mozambique at the time without great comms and, you know, I was fortunately here in London. Um, but we really needed to get clear about our goals for, for, you know, reaching more people about our work and prioritising our resources to do that. And, you know, we are a very, very small organisation and we had a very limited time window as well in terms of the news cycle, but also it appeared that the Duke of Duchess of Sussex would be changing their focus to other charities within the month. So what would you advise other charities caught in a similar situation? So we reached out to the other chosen charities to see what they were doing, um, mm-hmm. first of all, and, and Chess spoke to, you know... For it was actually example, really nice, like the 15 grassroots organisations, we kind of formed a support network for each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, because we all kind of, like um, Rafiki Castle... Uh, Rafiki Castle, the, Beyond Blue in Australia, my yeah. home country. And yeah. Rafiki does amazing stuff. They, they um, open homes for abused people in Kenya and help, help them. And we were talking with them because they got a lot of media exposure and they were kind of offering advice on on that kind of thing um, and how to handle it because we just had no experience of it. Yeah, and we had to we had to prioritise a review of our funding campaigns kind of like immediately. And because we didn't have experience in this space, you know, between us we reached out in our personal networks and we're kind of like, does anyone know anything about PR? <laughs> 
that would be awesome. And we had some friends connect us with a Facebook group um, where we kind of posted, hey, look, this has happened to us. And the response was fantastic. People offered to advise us and provide us with some, you know, some advice, which was absolutely invaluable. So so reaching out for support would be the kind of the major bit of advice. Yeah, and we got that communication support, which was fantastic. I mean, I think the biggest piece of advice I was was given by friends was working with someone who gets – our, our charity and the capacity that we have. Um, you know, we've had support from a woman called Helen Deacon, who's a comm specialist, who reached out to us and said, hey, I really understand what you do. You know, I'd love to be involved. I, I can help you. And we were like, oh, my God, we love you. Thank you so much. You know, Brilliant. So yeah. what's next for you guys? It's a really exciting time for us. Uh, our 2020 applications are open for our volunteer programs. Um, so uh, part of what we're doing is recruiting and doing a lot of talks around universities and schools. Um, we're really proud of one of our... Um, sponsors at the moment, Ursi Marin. Um, she's doing the Clipper Around the World race and she's literally just docked um, and she's raising money for our community pool, uh, which we now have enough money to build, which is absolutely amazing as well. So we can build the first ever swimming yep. pool in the, the area. The combination of Ursi um, um, doing the Clipper race and her funding and then also the Duke and Duchess of um, Sussex actually donating like Archie's first donation has got us to the point of where we're able to, to build that pool now. So it's it's super yeah. exciting for Fantastic. us. We also have the opportunity to talk to more sponsors and uh, more corporate partners and things like that as well. Francesca, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. We'll be back with another episode next month. So make sure you subscribe to this, the Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to hear about it. Thank you again to Patrick McGurk, Noma Chowdhury, Adash Ramchurn, Adrian Sanders, Francesca Trotman, Andrea Biden and Chetel Patel for joining us. To the producer, Anushka Tate for Rethink Audio and to you for listening. Listening.